always great to worship together. Uh, tonight we start a new series. Uh, just a couple weeks as we prepare for Christmas, uh, we'll dive into that Christmas series. That was the theme song of our whole Christmas series, and you can actually look, if you go to elementcitychurch.org backslash Christmas, that's a whole page you can use to invite folks, to find out all the information. You can actually listen to the song right there uh, from Hillsong, uh, Let There Be Light, and that's the theme of our whole Christmas series. So for this week and next week, we want to take a little bit of time and dive into some scripture, because uh, we always want to look at scripture because it challenges us and that's where we find our basis for Jesus's teaching and for what God wants best for your life and for mine and tonight uh, a little bit of a challenge and I'll be honest I I get nervous every week um, but I'm always a little bit hyped up when we're talking about something that I know puts people at edge I know it kind of catches people in different places and but this is really looking at what God has to say about it what I've seen true in my own life and and I hope tonight we kind of serve it up and the Holy Spirit kind of works with your heart and where you're at and, and all of that because there's this reality of living open-handed is this call that uh, Jesus has for us as followers. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet. You're not a, a Christian and maybe you're here just because a friend invited you and I think that's awesome that you're here. In fact, we wanna be a church where you don't have to believe to belong, where you could be a part of here investigating who Jesus is, but maybe if you're on that journey, there's this challenge throughout the scripture that there's things in our world that pushes us and kind of promotes for us to grab hold of everything and to hold on to it and to seize that control, right? And to have this grip on life. But the reality is there's some things we actually grab a hold of that actually begin to grab us. And we're the ones that are held captive by it in some ways. And yet, throughout the scriptures, over and over in several things, but in these two things in particular we're gonna look at this week and next, there's a way where these can become almost gripping on us to our detriment and to our disadvantage. And so as the scriptures say, we're gonna look at this idea of of what does God have to say about dealing with our time next week and with our money this week. Now, I know for some of you, hearing the word money in church, you're already like, oh, I was suspicious. <laughs> all you church people, all you want to do is talk about money. And the reality is uh, we don't. In fact, I've never taught on this passage what we're going to look at. We, in four years, we haven't looked at this. But every so often, we do look at the big things in life. And money and resources is one of those things. In fact, to not teach on it and to not talk about it would be spiritual malpractice because Jesus had so much to say about it. In fact, the Bible has over 2,300 verses that talk about our resources and how we manage them, how we're to approach them, how we're to to utilize those. In fact, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about marriage and heaven and hell combined because he knew something. In fact, he was the one that said, hey, where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be also. Remember when he said that? Because he knows something. There's, there's something about our resources that we can grab hold of, but deep down, they can actually begin to grip into our lives. And we're called to live open-handed in a way that says, God, I want to trust you. And the best I know how, in my time and in my resources, I want to live open-handed before you because you say that's the best possible way to live. And if I grip too hard to things, to my time and to my resources, they can actually begin to grip hold of me and take me places that 
aren't necessarily the best in what you dream for our lives. And so we're gonna spend some time looking at that uh, tonight and looking at time next week. So I wanna look at this idea of what a eternal ROI is. Now, if you've ever heard ROI, it's return on investment, right? So return on investment is you put in something and you're hoping to get something back. So let's just give you an example. Uh, Do you know this company? Go ahead. You know that company, right? If you would have invested $1,000 when Apple started, do you know what your ROI would be? Pretty recent statistic. Your pretty recent statistic, your ROI, your return on investment for investing $1,000 would be well over $300,000. Would you say that's a pretty good return on investment, right? So like that's 31,000% up, okay? It's like a big deal what's happened in that. But there's other ones that people have invested into and not gone so well. Maybe you remember this company, the next one there. Pets.com. I don't know if you remember this. This is back in the early 2000s. A sock puppet, right? And Pets.com was like this thing that PetSmart was going to put them out of business because they were just going to ship all this stuff to your house. And it was a really cool idea until the company actually started selling stuff for less than what they paid for it, which isn't a good business model. And they were out of business within two years. $300 million invested, gone. If you had invested $1,000 into that company, you would have lost $1,000. Nothing would have come back to you. And what the scriptures say, what the passage we're going to look into tonight is from the prophet Malachi. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. We're going to look into a conversation and kind of eavesdrop in. And so if you have your phones, you can go to version. I put all the notes on there. If not, open up your Bible to Malachi. Go to Matthew and then go back one book. There you find Malachi. Very last book in the Old Testament. And this is one of those tense conversations. How many of you have ever walked up on a tense conversation before? Like you walked up to say hi to someone and there's a tense conversation going on. You're like, whoa, (laughs) and you're trying to back away from it. Like, uh, I'll I'll call you later. Uh, That type thing, right? This is that, okay? So there's a tense conversation going on between God and between his people, Israel, okay? So there's this conversation going on. We're gonna eavesdrop in to what's being said. And here's what I want you to listen for. There's a command that's here that God says, and there's an invitation that God says. And I don't want you to miss those two things. There's a command and an invitation, and I want you to see. So here's where it goes, the very first part. Malachi chapter three, verse seven. This is God speaking. He's saying to his people Israel through the prophet Malachi, and he's saying some challenging things. He says to them, God says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me, from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? So there's this conversation. It's already tense. You've walked up. You're like, whoa, okay, it's tense. And God's saying, look, I want you to return to me. Return to me with your heart and with everything, and I will be running to you. You've neglected. You've kind of turned away. You've gotten distracted and detoured, and you are to return. Now, maybe the people are beginning to recognize and begin to have this conversation, be like, oh, well, God, that's really not in our best interest to turn away from you. Like, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. We probably shouldn't turn our back on you. So, like, how are we supposed to return to you? What does that look like, God? And then he goes on, and here's what he says. How are we to return? 
And then he says this question, kind of ratchets up a couple notches, you ready? Verse eight, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. God is saying to his people, this has like gotten tense to another level, right? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And then the people respond, but God, how do we rob you? Like, I don't connect the dots here. How are we robbing you? And then it goes in to verse nine. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me, God says. Now, this is the moment where if you've walked up in the conversation, you're like, whoa, okay? And you, you can't slip away now, because it's just distracting. But you're there, you're kind of eavesdropping in on God's conversation with his people. Tithes and offerings. Now, if you ever had been in church, grew up in church, and you heard uh, a guy like me stand up and say, hey, we're gonna collect the offering, uh, we're gonna collect tithes and offerings, maybe you heard that and you thought that was the same thing. Uh, let me give you a biblical perspective, because they're not the same. They're related, but they're different, okay? So from a biblical perspective, a tithe is 10% of what uh, God's blessing you with with your income and that you're giving that back to God. You're bringing a tithe. You give an offering. An offering is kind of above and beyond a tithe. And so like in the Old Testament terms, if we were to put numbers to this and kind of, not numbers, but kind of get a concept around it, to, to make the, the temple run and all the administration and everything that would happen in the temple, the priests and all the people that work there, to have all of that go, God's saying, you gotta bring the tithes into my house so that it can work and it can go and that the mission that we have is able to be funded and go. Think of it as operational cost, okay? To make everything in the temple run, to make everything, the, the priests, the leaders, everybody doing the things that they need to do in order to bless the people and to be responsible for the people in order to be on mission for God, all of that, okay? In the New Testament, what is that? Well, we don't have a temple anymore. What do we have? It's a Sunday school answer. Church, okay? So it's a church. It's a local body, a local community of the church. Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So Jesus wants to fund his church. It's the same concept. It's all the operational cost of making everything happen, from turning on lights to making things work, to rent facilities, to have staffing, all of that stuff. And so here's what God is saying. You're robbing me. Now, that's really tense. God is like in authoritative mood, tone of voice right here, right? This is uncomfortable. So just take a breath. Because it's uncomfortable. But I want you to see something. That's the command. God's saying, you're robbing me. You bring the whole tithes in. Because here's what happens. If you're a parent, you understand this. You're having a moment with your child, right? And you're in authoritative mode, right? You're like, no, you can't do that. This is how it's gonna be. This is gonna happen. It's, you're 10, you don't get to drive the car, okay? And so like authoritative mode, right? And then what you want as a parent in the same breath is to kind of do something like this. Okay, listen, I love you. You can't drive the car, okay? Watch what God does in this conversation because it's authoritative. Hey, you're robbing me. You're, you're, you're jipping my ability to do what the mission I have. You're not lined up with me. You return to me and I'll return to you. Now, now listen, 
Go to the next verse. You bring the whole tithes and offering into my storehouse. And you watch and see that I will not pour out more blessings on you than you can even get your arms around. It's like God gets down on his knee and has an eye-to-eye conversation with his people, going from authoritative mode to like loving heavenly father. And then he says something, these four words you won't find in the Bible anywhere else. He says, test me in this. Test me in this. Now what's fascinating is all throughout the scriptures, you'll read, don't test God. So it's interesting that God would say, test me in this. In fact, it's the only place you'll find in all of the Bible where God says, you can test me in this. It's around one issue, tithing, resources, money. That's what it's around. Nowhere else in the Bible will you read those words. But God in this moment says, I want you to test me in this. So here's the command, you're robbing me, stop robbing me. Here's the invitation. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me, and I will blow you away. Return to me, and I will return to you. Why is this important several thousand years later? Because I think what God was saying then is exactly what God is saying now. What God wants for you more than anything in the world is to grow your faith and to prove his faithfulness. At the bottom line, I think what God wants is to grow your faith and prove his faithfulness. I love what um, A.W. Tozer writes these words. He says, the veil of money has never been about how much money you have, but about how much money has you. It's not this idea that we can't grip or hold on to money. It's the fact of, okay, we live in open-handed because it's really about if money has a grip on you and your heart. And so there's this challenge going on. See, here's the theory in our culture. The theory is in our culture, and I bet most of you, most of your friends, most of the people you're associated with would think this way when it comes to charitable giving. What they think is, well, if I made more money, I would what? I'd give more money. If I made more money, I would give more money because that's what's in our heart. We're not stingy people. What we want is to actually do something. And so the theory is, well, if I just made more money, I would give more money. But here's the reality. We've tested this theory. There's been research done on it. Can I just show you the results? Here's what it is. Let's say here's a category of people who their, their yearly income, right? So people who make under 25,000, uh, people who go 25 to 50, 50 to 75, 75 to 100, 100 to 200, and 200 plus, right? So researchers have kind of broken people down and they looked at their charitable giving and they said, okay, if the, let's see if this theory plays out. So here's the first one. For people who make under $25,000, most people, the average, give away 7.7% of their income to charitable giving, okay? So they're making contributions. So if the theory is, if I make more, I'll give more, then that should be the floor, right? Like, that's what we're thinking. So let's go to this next one, 25 to 50,000. Those folks, on average, give 4.8%. Well, what happened? Why is this theory not playing out? Because it's what everybody kind of feels and what they think. 
Uh, let's keep going. 50 to 75,000, 3.5%. 75 to 100%, 3%. This is where that's at. 100,000 to 200,000, 2.6%. 200,000 plus, like slight bump, 2.8%. So, Jack, well, this theory is, like, if I made more money, I would give more money. Why does that not play out in research? Well, I'll show you. So, how many of you had pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving? How many of you love pumpkin pie? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, here's the deal. So, I've got two pies here, right? So, let's just say, for theory's sake, that this pie represents your monthly income. I know some of you work on commissions, some of you make different things, and so I, I can't put a number to it, but I want you to think for yourself, okay? This pie represents your monthly income, all right? It's you, it's, it's where you're at in life. So, I'm assuming some of you pay rent or a mortgage, correct? Is that a big slice or a small slice? Unless you're living in a grandma's house, that's a pretty good slice, right? So, let's see, we got that, we got the mortgage, we got rent type thing, we got that, okay. Now, uh, how many of you have kids? Some of you got kids. Are kids a small expense or a big expense? Big expense, right? Uh, how many of you were kids? Yeah, you cost a lot, okay? So, like you got that, you got your uh, kids there. But here's the good thing, kids grow up and leave, right? <laughs> and then they come back, so it actually costs you a little bit more uh, in that, because they come back there. Oh, this is, oh, this is looking good here. So, okay, you got that. Uh, how many of you have a cell phone? Yeah, you got a cell phone in here. You got bills to pay. You got um, different things. Let's say you got, well, you got power bill, like you got to pay the electric bill, and you got to do all that, and you got to, okay, pardon my fingers, I did wash them. Okay, you got that. Um, let's see. Uh, you also got different expenses, like uh, what other expenses do you have? Insurance, right? That's wonderful, uh, because you hardly ever use that, but you got to pay for it anyway, so you got that. Um, let's see, I'm running out of room here. You got that, you got, um, what else? You got clothes, you got to eat, you got clothes and groceries, right? You got that type thing you got there. Uh, let's see what else you got. You got medical stuff, medical, that's part of insurance, but maybe you got things that just happen in life, right? So things happen, like, you know, you hurt your finger. Kevin, just thinking out loud, just um, thinking. So um, things happen. What else you got? So, okay, pets, or you got um, other things that just kind of happen, they come about type thing. Uh, let's see, you got, you got that. Anyone getting hungry? You got different expenses. Let's say you got different things that happen, um, that happen in life. This is a horrible cut job right here, but we go right there. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, you got taxes. <laughs> we forgot that. Okay, you got taxes there. Uh, how many of you, uh, actually, uh, anybody hungry? Anybody hungry? Hey, it's first come, first get. Let's go. We don't, we don't mess around here. Okay, first come, first get. This is in church, so I, I prayed over the calories that they wouldn't be there. So there you go. There you go. We got more. First come, first get. Okay, there you go. I got one more. You guys will have to arm wrestle for it. Oh, Gavin, we'll have to weigh. 
Maybe next small group you guys can, okay, figure it out. So, <clears throat> all right, so you go through all that. This explains that. There's pressure. And what you're left with is just leftovers. Now listen, I love you. I want the best for you. This is not trying to get something from you. This is trying to get something for you. I love you. There's nothing you can do that would make me love you less. Listen, God loves you more than I do. There's nothing you could do that would make you love him less. But you need to hear this. I need to hear this. <clears throat> God is not satisfied with leftovers. The creator of the heavens and the earth is not satisfied with leftovers. If he came to your house, you wouldn't serve this to him, would you? And what he's saying in his scriptures is there's a better way. In fact, if you'll just do something, if I'll just do something, if <clears throat> you'll take your monthly income and right off the bat, you'll set aside a percentage to honor him. God says, look, don't rob me. Trust me. I want to grow your faith. Because here's the truth. Second pie living requires faith that first pie living never asked for. Second pie living, honoring God first and foremost, requires faith that first pie living never even asked for. And what God is saying is I wanna be first in your life. I want you to honor me. And listen, listen, listen. If you'll trust me, if you'll return to me, I will return to you. If you'll trust me, and you'll set aside a percentage, and you'll give that to me first, I will bless you, and you will have enough. Because what we see right here is, well, I don't have enough. It's all gone, God. And God's saying, no, no. 90% with my blessing is far greater than 100% of your money without my blessing. That's what God's saying in this conversation. Then in the conversation now is that 90% with my blessing will be enough and will be far greater than 100% of all your money all to yourself without my blessing. God wants to bless. Is this a get rich quick scheme? No, this isn't about getting rich. This is about living richly. This is about honoring God and putting him first in all aspects of life. And there is no aspect that requires more trust than how we manage our resources, period. Nothing else seems to grip our hearts. That's why Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be there. He knew something that I think we know deep down, but we try to ignore it at times. 
And so what God says is, will you trust me? Will you just set aside this? Give it to me. Give it to the mission that I have. And I will take care of you. That's a promise. He says, test me in this. Jack, are you saying I should write a tithe check before I write a mortgage check? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's bold. That's God. This is a challenge we can't ignore. Now, you can put it in the back burner. I did for years. But until you get to a spot where you begin to say, God, I'm gonna take you at your word, and I'm gonna trust you. And as we've done that, I'm I'm telling you, I, I can tell you story after story of how God has provided enough just because we've lived by faith. It's amazing. It grows your faith like nothing else. It's an incredible journey. Now, you may be sitting here feeling really uncomfortable. Good. My hunch is you're, you're squirming a little bit in your heart, in your chair, and, and good. Because that's the conversation we've come into. You're eavesdropping into a tense, tough conversation. Listen, this isn't about trying to get money for elements or trying to get money for the church. This is about for you. What God is saying for you to grow in your spiritual journey is to say, will you honor me in every area? Will you put me first? See, living with this kind of life is a challenge. Maybe you're sitting here going, there's no way, Jack. You, uh, I know you're not an accountant or anything, but there's no way I can get here. Well, can I just give you three baby steps that I think will help you get here eventually? And maybe the conversation with you and God is, God, I want to get there. I- I'm tired of living this way. I've just been tipping you. I, I want to live this way, God. And I want to test you in this. I really do. But I don't know how to get here so fast. So just three things real quick. First is, uh, we've done a Financial Peace University class here for the last two years. And we'll have another one here starting in late January. And if you're a place where you're like, I don't understand our financial situation and I just need to get a grip on it, this is a Dave Ramsey program that's nine weeks long. We'll do it again. And I just invite you to, to put that on your calendar. Put that in and go. I'm telling you, there's couples here um, that have gone through this and it has changed them. They've retired debt. How many of you would like to get rid of some debt? That's a pretty sweet gig to get rid of debt. They've done a lot of different things and they're in a much better financial footing now than where they were when they first started. You could talk to them. Karen and David, I'll put you in the spot. You can go see them afterwards. Just crazy stories of seeing God do this. And so think about that, do that. The second one is this, start. Okay, so you can't do 10% right away. Okay, then pick a percentage and make it a priority. That's what we tell people all the time is, look, God says this, and maybe you can't jump there right away, but just start, like do something, this Nike thing, just do it. Just do something, because staying here, you're gonna wake up five years from now, and you haven't invested anything into God's kingdom, and God says, look, you invest into my kingdom, and I'm gonna take care of you. It's an ROI like nothing. Listen, one day Apple will be out of business. But God's business never goes out of business. It has a ripple effect throughout eternity. 
as people's lives are changed. There's nine people that were baptized a month and a half ago that will have found their faith in Christ, regenerated their life with him, and are gonna share heaven with you because of the investment of people into the local church. That happens, you can't put a price tag on that. And that's because God's fueling things. So just start, here's the third thing. If you have no idea where to start, let me, let me kind of share it this way. Just do a 90-day challenge, okay? Here's another way of saying this pie thing. Here's $10, right? For every $10 that comes in, just set $1 aside. God, that's for you. Now, stretch this and make it work. You said I could test you in this. I didn't say that, God said. In fact, I believe in that so much. Here's what I'm offering you tonight. If you want to invest in this local church community, if you call it home, I'm gonna challenge you to a 90-day giving challenge. Just for every $10 that comes in, you give $1 to God and to his work and to his activity, and that you do that. And if you come to me after three months and you say, I don't like it, it hasn't worked for me, then here's the deal. I will write you a check from the church for every dollar that you gave. Money back guarantee. Is that crazy? Yes, that's crazy. I believe your heart will be at a different place so much three months from now. I'm not gonna come to your house and ask to pray for you. I'm not gonna try to talk you out of it. No excuses. I don't need to hear any logic behind it. If you'll do it, I believe God will bless you and be in this because he says he will, that I'm taking God at his word. So that's the challenge. That's the invitation. The bottom line is this. When you become a caretaker of God's kingdom, God becomes a caretaker of your kingdom. You have a kingdom. You have a little reach, you have a little leverage, you have a little uh, region and influence that you can have with your time, your resources, uh, your connections. And as you trust God, he becomes a caretaker of your kingdom as you invest into his kingdom work, into his activity in this world. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. He said, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. What Jesus is saying is, look, I have the best return on investment you'll ever hear of. As you give to the kingdom of God and to his activity in this world to change lives, everything you give, God's gonna stretch to a place where one day, as a follower of Jesus, you're gonna stand before the throne. And not only are you gonna see your name in the book of life, welcome, well done, good and faithful servant, but Jesus is gonna open a ledger of everything you've invested into his kingdom work and you will be blown away and how God stretched what you invested, the little bit that you invested, into making the change happen in the lives of people throughout all eternity. It's the greatest return on investment your heavenly Father says you'll ever have in your entire life. So that's the invitation. God has this command, and yet he has this invitation where he gets eye to eye. He says, look, will you just test me in this? The only time in the Bible you'll read that, the only topic that God says, you can test me in this. So what do we do with this? I have no idea. I know what I do with it. 
The question is, what are you going to do with it? Because that's a question only you can answer. And so as we kind of move toward a time of communion, close with a worship song tonight, I just want to give us some space to kind of contemplate and think. I just want to pray for us individually. This is something God wants for you and for your good and for your best. And it's challenging. But he invites you into this journey of discovering his faithfulness as you trust him, as you grow in your faith. And so, Father, we lift up tonight to you. God, you are such a generous God that you love the whole world enough that you gave. You didn't take. You gave before we ever even knew we needed it. Jesus, you gave everything. That's what we remember in communion as we remember the sacrifice of your body, the blood shed, the death that would come, that we might have life with you as you were risen three days later, that we are now risen with you through faith, invited into this journey as individuals and as a church to invest in your work and your activity in this world and to do so to watch you do incredible things, stretching that, and to live with this promise that you'll take care of us. Doesn't mean that we won't have hardships, that we won't have struggles. We won't be alone. And you'll be in it with us, right beside us. So as we contemplate the sacrifice that you gave, the generosity of your heart, God, at the very core, we wanna be generous like you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this group of people. God, we are a generous church. We're known in our community from our generous spirits to, to kind of hike up our sleeves and to get into the community and serve and the giving, the all we've done. But God, we can do so much more. We can just do more. And God, we want to be a part of a story that you're writing in each individual life, those that are here tonight, those that will watch online, in each of our stories, God, would you help show us our next step to step out in faith, to trust you. And God, would you allow your Holy Spirit to be so active and so fresh as we trust you and lean into you, that you surprise us in this journey with you. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.